room myths I've actually seen that people deal with things or try to make sense of things actually in a very similar way. Even though it's like across different cultures, it's actually way more similar. Hi, I'm Pierre de Montesquieu, and this is Art Goes On, a podcast where people from the art world share their vision of our society and how they keep the art world running. This podcast is interactive. You can ask questions to upcoming guests through our Instagram account at ourchoices.art. This is O-U-R-C-H-O-I-C-E-S dot A-R-T. Please follow us to be updated. Now, on to today's show. This show was recorded during summer 2020. Today I'm happy to be with Rithika Merchant. Rithika is an Indian artist who works with watercolors and she currently lives in Barcelona. Hi Rithika, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so Rithika, how art is going for you? Actually, this period of lockdown has been, I don't know, it's actually been quite in a weird way, I almost needed it. Um, it's been really, really busy for me, especially since um, I collaborated with Chloe. Um, after that, sort of things kind of just exploded for about two years. Um, and I've, obviously, I'm like so grateful for like all of the opportunities I've gotten and I've been exhibiting a lot, but um, it was just very like nonstop. So this almost gave, gave a bit of a time where like suddenly like there were no deadlines. Um, I was just able to kind of focus on just making my work without without anything like without a goal you know um i have a show in india that's going to be in january 2021 but that's like a really it's like a long far away goal so it, it's it doesn't feel like oh my god i have to like finish this by you know in two months or something like that um i also spent like the first half of the lock like we're still a little bit locked down in barcelona but i spent um the first three months of this whole period in india with my parents and um, I was supposed to be there for two weeks and then sort of things really started to get really bad and I decided to just stay with my parents because I felt that it, it's good for me to be there. They're getting older and I thought it would be nice just for me to spend this time with them. Um, so I stayed on it. I ended up staying for almost three months. But because of that, I was in my parents' house um, with like no art materials. So luckily, like the week before um, the lockdown was announced in Bombay, um, my dad took me to the art supply store and I was able to get um, some art material. So I had a few things to work with. Um, and I was also working simultaneously on this other project. Basically, a couple of months ago, um, I have a friend called Mia and she runs a sustainable design brand. Um, she's like co-founded. It's a sustainable design brand in India. And they work with a lot of local artisans and um, really, uh, yeah, they work with basically a lot of local artisans in India. So she had gotten in touch with me and she was like, you know, we have a lot of organic cotton scrap uh, scraps from, you know, the off cuts of the clothes that we make. And we've, we've been taking these, these pieces of cotton and um, recycling them and basically pressing them into this amazing handmade paper. And so some months ago, basically, she was like, you know, we have all this paper and I know you love to work with paper. So like, do you think, like, do you have anything you think you could do with it? Um, maybe I can send you some. So I was like, yeah, sure, definitely. Um, I'm going to be in India in March. So why don't you send it to my parents' house and then I'll, I'll take it when I'm there and I'll see. So that was the other thing I had at home with me, which was all this like amazing, like 
organic cotton handmade paper, which was almost like fabric. Um, and I think also because I had such limited materials, I was like, I'm going to like use this now and see what I can do with it. So I started making these paper cuts, which I don't know, it's kind of interesting because it's sort of an extension of my own practice. Um, I've always liked craft, you know, I use embroidery hoops. Um, I love collage. And so, I don't know, I was like looking for something that was quite meditative and um, something that didn't require a lot of materials. And I had sort of this raw material of this paper. And so that's one of the things also along with my own paintings that I also like worked on a couple at the beginning. And so how was this new experience with specific paper? Yeah, I mean, the thing with paper is because it's handmade paper, I couldn't really paint on it. Um, it's really porous. And so especially since I work with watercolor, I wasn't able to use it to actually make paintings on, which is also why I ended up um, making paper cuts, because I didn't then have to use pigment and water on the paper. I could actually just use the paper itself as um, the medium. And I just needed scissors, basically, and some glue. Uh, so it was like super like minimalistic in a way but yeah I don't know it, it brought me a lot of peace also just making them at the time because you know at the beginning of like the lockdown it just seemed like the whole world was locked down you know and we were all just kind of stuck where we we where we were and I don't know I just needed something also a little bit to take my mind off that. Your work is depicting humanity and relationships through myth of different cultures. You've stayed with your parents in Bombay for three months, but because of the lockdown, far from your husband, who was in Barcelona. Did it some way affect your work? Yeah, in some ways, yeah. I think there's something, you know, I think, I don't know if you, it was in the news everywhere, so maybe you saw it, um, but there was this huge crisis that happened at the beginning of the lockdown where the government of India basically locked down really suddenly. Like they gave maybe four, it was four hours of notice. At 8 p.m. they were like from midnight, you can't leave your house. And the result of this was a lot of daily wage workers, like migrant workers who work in villages and come into the cities to work, were suddenly just left without anything. And there was no transportation, there was no nothing. And over the course of then the following weeks, literally a huge proportion of this migrant population started to walk back to their villages. So walk hundreds and hundreds of kilometers back to their villages. And it was just really sad. I mean, it ended up being this huge humanitarian crisis because like they had no money, they had no way to earn any money and therefore then no way to eat. Um, and all they wanted to do was go home. And throughout this whole period, like even just reading stories in the news or just hearing stories of people being stranded in different places because suddenly many, it wasn't just India, in many different places, lockdowns were just suddenly announced. And I think just seeing and hearing about all of these stories of people just really having this desire to go home really made me think about how I think deep down, I think everyone has this desire to go back to where they want to be. There's something about, I think, maybe being rooted in a certain place or feeling that safety of being at home. And I would say, like, even though I missed my husband and it, it was kind of weird not being in my own apartment, there was this almost safety and security of just being in my childhood home with my parents, you know? So really, it ended up really not being that bad. I'm also close with my parents and it ended up being fine. But it really also brought back home that, it brought back that idea of wanting to go home and like just that, also what that idea of home means to so many people, which I also explore a lot in my own work. 
Talking about staying at home, you've traveled a lot. You've studied at person schools. You've made residences in Greece, Portugal, or Romania. Yeah. So you've been uprooted in a way. In a lot of areas you've been, there has been a crisis. Not comparable ones, but still. In 2008, the subprimes when you were in New York, migration in Greece or even Spain, the attacks in Bombay in 2008 or Barcelona in 2017. Do you have a view on how people from different cultures or continents react to crisis? I don't know, I guess, you know, I've never really thought of it that way, but you're right. Like, I mean, all these like really intense events have happened in all of these places. But, you know, I think the other thing is when you're actually living in the place, like um, even living in Barcelona during the time where there was all of those riots because of um, the Catalan independentist movement, living here, yeah, it was really weird seeing the city kind of on fire and like seeing all these riots. But I think it's really hard to also have perspective on something that's going on while you're experiencing it you know and also like to bring it back to my own artwork I've noticed that I often process these things in my art like after the fact you know I don't know I actually don't know that I have a clear answer for that you know I think the way people approach crisis is like in many ways really personal too so I don't know that I have any like clear insight on like the cultural difference between how people process crisis. Have you noticed any patterns or common threads in the different cultural myths you've studied for your artwork? Yeah, I mean, mythically, if you look through myths, you'll see these common threads of how people deal with things. And actually, I would say that almost then counters the point because through myths, I've actually seen that people deal with things or try to make sense of things actually in a very similar way even though it's like across different cultures, it's actually way more similar. Yeah. And that's what you've read in Joseph Campbell too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you have your own drawing lexicon. You have recurring symbols in your drawings. Did you add any vocabulary to uh, this lexicon during the lockdown? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, not add, but I've definitely like altered some of altered some of the symbols I have, especially like the way I've been drawing figures and um, also in some of like maybe the color choices that I use. But well, and I think it's actually more in terms of like textures rather than, or like the textures within the figures. Like I've been doing a lot of, um, before there were, they, you could actually see the figures and they, they were usually um, animal and human hybrids and they usually had um, the heads of birds. Because I don't know, I find birds very significant and um, the symbolism of different birds, even like in mythology, is quite interesting to me. So I've always used that in my own work. But recently, I guess I've been talking much more about the universality of the human experience. And so I've, I've almost been drawing the figures in a more abstract way. Like, for example, some of the figures, and it's actually, I'm looking up because there's a painting right there. Um, it's like they're these dark black figures and they're actually just made up of stars. And that's like, um, now that's something that is, you know, like you'll see in this new series of work that I'm working on. You'll see that in sort of different places in the work and in different narratives also that I'm trying to weave. What are the different symbols you've picked up from different cultures? I guess from different cultures, the eye is something I've always 
um, really like that you see a lot of eyes. Um, but you find eyes in a lot of cultures, but I, I would say it's mostly Egyptian because that's the most iconic eye. Um, you know, the eye of Horus or even the Ankh is kind of eye-like. So that is probably like the most, I would say, recognizable specifically from a certain culture symbol. Um, but a lot of them are sort of things that I've that have been like kind of inspired by certain things like there was a painting in the show in Paris which was about like the door um they're like door deities um if you look at temples in specifically like Southeast Asia and also I mean in Asia in general um there's always there's not always there's often these two sculptures on the side of each door they're like the guardians of um the doorway and uh, that's that's something that you'll see sometimes in my work that's probably like another kind of recognizable symbol barcelona where you live is a big spot for graphic designers yeah india is a very creative country not only in art but also in craft how some of your acquaintance in those areas have dealt with the lockdown you know i think it's really been split like for some people it's been quite a productive time but for a lot of people um they've not been able to go to their studios like for me i i work at home and also i work with watercolor so i don't like i can kind of do it anywhere but if you work if you're a sculptor or you work with oil paint or if i don't know if you just work with some material where you need to go into the studio a lot of my artist friends have not been able to go to their studios and then also like a lot of people's children are home with them so that sort of cuts into time taken to create because you kind of have to look after your kids now because they're not going to school so it's really been been divided um i've seen some artists do a lot with this time and i've seen some of them not being able to take advantage of it as much just because of you know either not being able to go to the studio or family obligations i there is also there have also been some friends that i know who have um kind of just been struggling a little bit with just the weight of what's going on you know it's it, it is kind of sometimes hard to disconnect and get into that creative space when it seems like the entire world is sort of on fire but i think everyone for the most part is sort of trying to do something even the people who are at home like with their kids who can't go in their studio are still trying to make some art with something they have because i think that's the thing with artists i think they'll always find a way to do something some of them are often working as freelancers working with brands. Is that something you've done before working with the fashion brand Chloe? I've never collaborated with a brand or anything before that. I had always had a very strictly fine art practice and I never really free I mean I would do commissions sort of through my gallery like if people had seen a work of mine and it was no longer available and they want, kind of wanted to commission something sort of within the same I like I won't obviously do like an exact copy of something but Usually the way we we say it like when I work with the galleries we'll say um let us know which of the pieces you respond to the most and then I will either make I will make something sort of in the same vein as that and then sort of it's up to the person to decide whether or not they want to buy it because I find with commissions it's never good when the collector has a very specific idea in mind or like really loves a specific piece because like there's no way you can recreate that and anyway it, for me it there's also no value in just making the same piece twice so i was like talking with my gallerist and we figured this is sort of the best way to to deal with commissions you know basically just ask people what they respond to and then make something that you think would work and and in some cases they don't end up buying it and that's fine then um 
what we say is that you uh, offer the right of first refusal. So there's no pressure to buy it at the end. Um, you can buy it if you like it, and if not, it's fine. Uh, you know, either get exhibited somewhere or maybe shown to another collector or something like that. And that way, I think there's a lot less pressure both on me and also on the collector. Because sometimes, like, you have something and then for them, if they then just don't like it and then they feel, like, forced into buying it, it's just, like, not great for the creative process. <laughs> so this is sort of how I've always arranged it. But working with Chloe was the first time I worked with um, an actual brand, you know? And I guess that you have less the opportunity to offer Chloe the right of first refusal. So how do you collaborate with such a brand with keeping your integrity? I actually kind of got really lucky with Chloe because Natasha was very open-minded. Um, she kind of gave me a brief of like a very broad brief of what she wanted. And she'd also pulled some of my existing work that she had liked. So I kind of had the aesthetic in mind, like it was clear to me what kind of work she wanted. Um, but she was really open-minded. She actually didn't give me a lot of direction. I remember I sent her some sketches and like basically the only feedback she really gave was, oh, maybe we can make this a little bit bigger and this a little bit smaller. Um, but in terms of the actual content of the work, she was super like open to sort of my ideas and everything. And I think a big part of it was I was able to then, they invited me to their studio um, so I could work with their graphic team to lay out the, the actual paintings on the garments, which was also, again, she was super like open with that kind of stuff too. You know, we would have fittings and it, it, it really felt like a, a good and like, what's the word I'm trying to say? Like a good and easy, I guess, like collaborative process, you know, because she like, it's really hard to collaborate with someone who is like really singular in their vision and like has no room for, like any kind of like change or any altering anything but she was really not like that you know she was super open-minded and so it, that way it didn't it didn't feel like a struggle at all you know it felt pretty easy and yeah we just kind of got on we got along well so i think that also made the process easier your work is very symmetrical and there are a lot of foldings on your drawing paper is it linked what is your process regarding that the folds actually started not with folds. So the folds actually started when I was in Lisbon and I had a really, really small room and a really, really small desk. And at the same time, I was seeing all these azulejos, which are the tile murals all over the city and in like the metro and everything. And I, it, like, it made me think like, this is such a cool way to make like big works, but kind of cut them down into like smaller sections. So actually my, like my old works, like from around 2000 and 9 2010 they're actually like in separate pieces which i then mount onto one thing like a one one paper so it started with that making these sort of tile paper tiled works and then over time i realized like there's something kind of nice in like the geometry of this and then i started experimenting with folding the paper instead of actually cutting it up into different pieces and then with the folds i realized oh this can be like I can expand this and I can like make all these like amazing shapes with the folds. It also folding the paper made it really easy to store the work, which was like an extra bonus because I could like fold it up into something small and like keep it instead of keeping these like, I don't know, full on painting somewhere. So that was kind of nice. Um, and I also liked that it, with folding the paper and sort of adding this texture, a texture, the paper was then becoming part of the narrative too. It wasn't just the paintings that were on it. 
so it's something I've always liked. And I also like that it sort of references like old maps and it references quilts and it references tapestries and all of these different mediums and um, art forms which tell stories. So I thought like I liked that it sort of linked all of these things together. And then with the symmetry, um, I think it's just an aesthetic thing. I've always liked really symmetrical things. Again, like um, it speaks a lot to tapestries, which are often symmetrical. And it's just, I don't know, I, I guess I don't really have like a technical reason for why I make things symmetrical. It's just something I enjoy. Um, and it's just very intuitive. And I find myself drawn to these like more symmetrical compositions. So it's not because of the foldings? It's not because of folding, no. <laughs> but the folding does help also as almost a framing tool because some t I usually fold the paper first before I start. So I'll have an idea in my head and then I'll think, oh, like what kind of folds do I want to make on the paper that will make sense with this idea? Um, and then I'll fold up the paper and then the folds because, you know, it, it almost makes a framework for which then I will like build the painting on. So it's like, You'll often see in my work, like I sometimes even paint certain sort of demarcated sections that have been folded off. And it really is, I almost think of it as like the scaffolding for which my like paintings are then built on. Thinking about Portuguese azulejos that you mentioned and breaking images in small frames like you do with your foldings, have you ever thought about doing murals? Because that's also the technique to make wall paintings. Yeah, I mean, I've never worked on one. It's definitely something I, I'm interested in doing. Um, it's going to be like, I think it would be a really big challenge for me, though, because I, as I said, I mostly work with watercolor and also working at that huge scale on something vertical, because I always work horizontally, like I work on a desk. So I think the idea of working on something that's that I have to look at straight up would be quite challenging for me. But I would love to actually try it, you know. Did the lockdown brought you something other than the experiment on paper cuts? If anything, it's more that it just showed me that like, I should take more time sometimes just to slow down a little bit, you know? I'm definitely, I think, going forward, going to make sure I schedule either exhibitions or things with like a little bit more space in them, uh, just so I have time sort of to breathe a bit. Um, for me it's definitely although I, I do say this and then like something will come up and I'll be like <laughs> you know so we'll see but yeah for the most part it's definitely taught me like how to work at a slightly slower and more relaxed pace. A lot of people started to know you through your collab with Chloe. It gave a lot of visibility to your work and its specific style. Could it be an obstacle to experiments or the evolution of your art? Because a lot of your audience now may expect you to do that type of work. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I don't know. I've, I, my work has always slowly kind of evolved. Um, so I feel like it's not that noticeable. But then I think if you look back at work that I made like 10 years ago, you'll see the work is quite different now. I don't know. I mean, even with these paper cuts, actually, which is a new thing that I've been doing, um, I've not felt that nervous about sort of exposing them or showing them. I, I think that I feel like I've been lucky in that, like having a platform has almost allowed me now to cultivate an audience that seems generous enough and seems willing enough to like let me experiment. So I haven't really felt held back by that. You know, I'm also not making work that's like so wildly different. I think it would be very different if I was suddenly saying I'm going to make like abstract oil paintings or something. I feel like even the changes that I make in my work are still kind of related to 
the work that I'm doing in it is sort of all part of the same story, which is why I think that maybe that's why it's, it's not been that difficult to branch out a little bit. So I haven't personally felt that uh, yet, but I mean, who knows if I suddenly start doing something entirely different in a couple of years. But that being said, I've never really let like the outside perspective really stop me with that because at the end of the day, I think as an artist, you need to do what's right for your expression. And you like, I've never really, I, I don't think artists should, and I never have really let like the audience or like, I don't know, anyone's outside opinions really change how I make art, you know? And indeed, I've noticed in some of your uh, recent work, the absence of figurative drawings. Yeah, so you, I, you're referring to the collages that I make. Um, so those, yeah, those are just completely abstract pieces. Um, I actually love making those, those works. Um, for me, it's like the way I think of them, they're just, the, they're like the visual interpretation of a specific idea. But it's a super intuitive process. Like I make almost all of the, some obviously are found images, but I make mostly all of the elements that are in the collages and I kind of just like go into this like zone and make them. Um, I, they're really relaxing for me to make because it's just all about the color and the texture and sort of just thinking of this concept and thinking, okay, how can I like, how can I, how, how do I personally visualize this, you know? And yeah, that's actually a good example of work that's actually quite different from my other work that I remember when I had some of these works, I had done them for this show called Where the Water Takes Us. Um, which I, it was in 2018, yeah, it was 2018, at my gallery in India. And I, I remember showing them to my gallerist and I was like, you know, I've been making these pieces that not really like the other works in the show, so I don't know how we can include them. And she was like, no, no, we'll find a way to do it. And we ended up hanging them all sort of on one wall. The gallery in India that I show with is on two levels. And so we integrated them in, into the show on the lower level. And it was actually kind of amazing to see because people really responded to those works. And that was definitely a, a bit of a leap for me because it was the first time I was sort of presenting these completely abstract works when people were quite used to the more like figurative kind of like folk arty work for me. And then suddenly I had these sort of abstract collage pieces, but like the response was really good. And it, also, it, it made me also feel much more confident in just sort of my own, I guess, intuition of like what I wanted to do for my work. Uh, I was like, it made me feel like, okay, I can kind of just make what I want to make. And then if people like it, then that's great. But it like, I was just happy that I was able to show them, you know, whether or not I think at the end of the day, people like them, it was nice just to be able to, to put them up and show this like extension of my process. Moving on to the last part of the show, I have a question from the audience. You've already talked a little bit about it, but someone noticed the use of the eye in lots of your drawings. Does the eye has a specific meaning for you? I love eyes. I think that they are very, um, I don't know, I think I find them a really interesting symbol. And I think that if you look, like just in illustrations, if you look just in any kind of like, I don't know, cultural artifact or anything, eyes always have different meanings. Um, and so for me, like, I like to sort of absorb all of their meanings. Like, you can think of it as sort of the eye in the sky or like the, the all-seeing eye or the eye of God looking down on you. Eyes are also like the window to the soul. So it's a great, for me, I always think of it as a way that you can almost like see inside someone. Yeah, they just have so many different implications. And so I just find them like a really compelling symbol to use. Oh, and by the way, thanks to Jeff from our audience who asked the question about the eye. Finally, the question I ask all my guests, 
what artwork is speaking to you in this current time? So it's actually one of my favorite artworks, I think probably of all time. And I, I, I think I like it because I think it's always relevant. Um, and it's actually a painting that I've referenced in some of my own work in the past. Um, so the painting is Saturn Devours, Devouring His Son by Francisco Goya. And um, it's a pretty brutal painting, but for me it is, I don't know, it's just, it's such a meaningful work. I mean, I think Goya made it at a time when he was trying to make, well, one of the theories is that he was making it at a time when he was trying to comment on the Spanish state and how like the fatherland basically like consumed its own children in like the wars and the revolutions that were going on during that time. And I think it's still so relevant now when you see like in so many places in the world, you have these like autocratic leaders who are like basically devouring their own children. And it can even, you, it even seems like with the pandemic, you know, it's how like earth or like nature is like rising up and devouring us, you know? So I don't know, it's a painting that I think, at least for me, I've always like found meaning in it over time, which I don't know if that actually makes my worldview really dark, but um, I do think it is a, it's a relevant painting. It's an, it's an, I don't know, eternally relevant painting. Rithika, thank you for being with us and telling us more about your process. I wish you the best for the upcoming months and your next exhibition in 2021. Thank you for having me. And yeah, hopefully the next time I'm in Paris and I'm with Adelaide or showing there, maybe we can meet. That would be cool. But yeah, thank you for having me. It was an actually really, it was like a really easy and fun conversation. Thank you very much. And yes, let's meet in Paris next time you come. Bye, Ritika. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Art Goes On. If you like what you heard, feel free to follow and share the show on Apple, Google Podcast, Spotify, or on YouTube, leave a rating or review to help people find the show. Thanks again.